and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. And last week we started our little mini-series, I guess you could call it, on death and dying. And so last week was talking kind of about our experience with the losses in our life. And we'll continue to touch base on those because of there it was such a significant time in our life. But today we're going to focus not just on part of death and dying and grief and loss is, you know, there's so much that goes into it. You know, and uh, Kubler-Ross has her five stages of death and dying, and some people experience them, maybe one or two, maybe none. You know, I mean, everybody's just different, you know, but there are those five stages that many people do experience. I remember learning about those, but I can't remember exactly what all they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another episode. <laughs> this is more the personal piece of that. But, you know, one of the things is, is that, and it's so interesting, I was having a conversation with my client about... Uh, we are talking about death and nine. He lost uh, one sister and then he lost another sister and both very recently. And we were talking about that and just that whole process and all the stuff that comes with it. And we talked about, you know, what is it about when people are dying? And, you know, we were talking about the philosophy of, or that thought process, I should say, of is it that the person who's dying holds on so long because part of their thing is, is about taking care of others and, and, and wanting to be an active participant in those things going on. You know, and then, so you have the person who's going through the process of dying. So you have that piece, and then you have the people watching it, and then you have the piece where they finally do pass away, and the aftermath of it. So it's like these little stages, you know, is how I think of it. That's really interesting, too, when you mentioned that. It made me think about, it's kind of interesting, because we don't know when we're going to die, obviously, but it's really interesting to me that, you'll hear of if someone is getting ready to pass, but a lot of times they know someone is coming on their way to see them or something. And it's like they hang on for that amount of time to be able to have that encounter. It's really interesting because it's not like we have control over that, I don't think in that way, but maybe it's that will, that will to survive until they get that last encounter with that person. It's kind of interesting. And I think that's true. You know, I know that for your dad, he, you know, you had that moment with him. Yeah, it felt like he hung in there for that time. And I'm so grateful that I got even those last few moments with him. It's always interesting because I always tell people our life is made up only of moments. You know, and one moment can mean so much to us, positive and negative. But you're right, there's such a think about that will, that desire, and those things that we just don't really understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, when we're looking at the death and dying process, or or in this case, how you survive that, you know, how do you go on? One of the things in mentioning that, I am grateful that I got those last few moments with him and so that he would know that I was there. It was more about him knowing that piece of it and but i do know that that moment where that he acknowledged me just by you know like i said it was just a squint of the eyes because he wasn't able to talk to me but how much that one single moment impacted me and it almost overshadowed in a way and how you said it, it could be positive it could be negative and like i said now i can look at it and say i'm really grateful that i had that moment but there for a long time that was the biggest memory that stuck out in my mind and it it felt like a negative kind of because 
It was the last acknowledgement I had from him. And that was just so overpowering at, at times. And you know, it's really interesting because I do a lot of uh, grief work in, in my practice. And I have a client who I just started with, and, and a lot of hers is around the loss of her mother. And she was saying that, and I, and I, and I said, the thing that we, that's hard, I said, is that last moment gets etched in your brain. And I know even for me, it was that moment of seeing my dad, you know, because when I went in there, he had already passed. And, and I, I was grateful for the moment. I was grateful that they, you know, I got to see him one last time. But the gratitude for that doesn't come, like you said, until a little later, because I would have that, that image is what would pop into my head and pop into my head and pop into my head. And, and I was talking to my client about that. And she said, yes, she says it's that. It's when we get past that and we realize what a blessing it is, what, when we can have gratitude for that moment. But it, it feels like it takes a minute, it, you know? It does. And, or it's, it's even mixed. It takes time because at first it feels so powerful and so traumatic. Well, and I think that's, you know, what it is. And, you know, when we have those moments and, you know, the other thing is, as we look at, I don't know, this has significance and I understand why it has significance, but it's how somebody dies too. If, you know, somebody's in hospice, if if it's something, you know, that's long-term and, and you kind of know because it almost feels like you can plan, you don't plan, trust me. <laughs> it's still going to hurt. Yes. But I understand what you're saying because there's some knowing. Yeah, you know it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And it's like this thing. But the other thing is, is that then when I work in a business where we deal a lot with uh, suicide and how that impacts a family differently that grief and loss process for them can be very different because there's so many questions that they keep asking themselves and there's guilt and there's all sorts of stuff that goes on with that whole thing. And then those sudden things, when children die, I mean, we have all these things and we have this idea that children are, a parent always thinks, well, as a parent, you will always die before your kids. Well, you know, just like you said, we don't know those moments. So that makes it, you know, all of these variables play into how we grieve how we grieve. And grief and loss looks so different for people. Some people cry, some people don't. Some people kind of close off themselves. Some people go become true extrovert. I mean, it's such a diverse thing that happens at the time when we go through grief and loss because your grief and loss was really hard. And that's the other thing. So oftentimes when I'm working with people, there's a grief and loss process, but there's not that there's a time period to, to have grief and loss. And this is what people don't understand. It's not that you have a time. It's not like somebody says to you, okay, at six months, you're done. It's not that. It's how you process and how you do it. Because if you don't do it, if you don't talk about it, if you don't work through it, oftentimes what I see is I have people coming to me who are now in a depressive thing that's brought on by the grief and loss. And that was very similar for you. Yeah, I think that that's true. And that's why I think I went to such a place of anger. I think that period of time, you know, not being able to talk with you through that process because you were sick, it was like a a fracture on top of what was already happening. But I think being able to identify that, and and I tell people, and it's hard, and you know, the other thing is, is we'll often see in that process of somebody passing away is, you know, for a short period of time, people will be there and then they're gone. Everybody goes on about their life. And I think one of the things that we forget is that those people still need our support even as time goes on. And when we're able to be there for those people, I think that's important too, understanding that in that grief and loss process that there's a sense of loneliness. Yeah, definitely. 
and having those people around, even if it's a brief phone call or whatever that is, really, really does matter. Yeah, not even that it has to be about the loss. I know we have a friend that she she says that she always struggles with that, you know, when somebody's had a loss or whatever, she struggles with approaching and being supportive in that way. But the thing is, it doesn't, you know, have to necessarily be even a conversation about that. But just being present with those people, I think, makes a difference. And just saying, where are you at in this moment? Right. Because in the moment, it may not be in that the moment of grief and loss. It may be, you know, I'm planning a trip or I'm doing, or, you know, work is this or the kids are this. It could be anything. But oftentimes, you know, I will hear that where people say, I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not what we say and what we do. It's just, once again, holding space for them, being present for them letting them know that you are there. If you need me, you call me. Whatever it is to talk about, you know, and I'm really grateful to our friend yesterday at work who um, shared something with me about the loss of somebody who was so, so significant to her. And I was so happy that she knew she could come and share that with me. And I was just as excited for her. Those are the things. And this is time has passed since that passing. But time is our friend in that way. But at the same time, it doesn't mean those people are forgotten and it doesn't mean that. And, you know, one of the things is, is you know, we love to watch Coco. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't watched that, it's, it's, it's a really good movie because that's what it talks about. And when we talk about Dia, Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, it's about like honoring them. It's like a remembering them. Yeah. What an amazing thing of that culture to remember the people that were so significant in their life and to not forget them. Because I always tell people one of the saddest things to me is when somebody suffers a death twice and when the body's gone, but then when they're gone, when we erase them, when we don't talk about them, mm-hmm. that is also so, to me, it's just such a sad thing. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I mean, how much you can honor a person, you know, just by sharing their stories and that. And that is one of the things that I think is so cool about Dia de los Muertos, that culture, you know, celebrating the life of that person and having that memory of them, you know, and I know there's many other cultures that do that kind of stuff. And that's, mm-hmm. I, that's really neat to me. I hear, I know that we go through it very differently than they do in other countries. And I mean, I think it would be helpful to us if we could take a piece of some of those ideas and really bring them to life here in the U.S. because I know that, you know, people struggle. And I, it's a whole mindset, I get it, that we have to change in order to get to a place like that. But when you start looking at those other cultures and why they, you know, look at it the way that they do, it's really cool. It was fascinating because uh, I have a friend from Japan and uh, her grandmother had died, so I sent my condolences and she was, and her response was like, why? It, like, it's okay, she lived a good life. You know what I mean? Uh, she's Buddhist. And so I also remembering in cultures, they do things differently. Right. Some cultures, it truly is a celebration of life. They don't focus on the death at all. Yeah. The death is just one more moment in life, but the moment, all those other moments are the things that are so significant. And I hear that people say, well, we're going to do a celebration of life, but it feels sad. It's just very different. But once again, I think we're taught that, like I said, you know, when I think it was my uncle died and I don't know. He he was, you know, we were talking about something, and I remember we were all laughing, and the priest came up to us and said that that was inappropriate behavior. We were supposed to be somber, and we were supposed to be this. So it gives that message of, this is a very sad time, and we're not supposed to have laughter. But the thing is, is if, if they made you laugh, the, that memory is going to make you laugh 
even after they pass. Exactly. And what, you know, it's what a compliment to that person because that's the influence and impact that they had in your life. And I guess that's the thing, you know, once again, and that's the other thing I ask people when they come in, what is your belief about death? And a lot of times I cannot believe how many times it's, I don't know, I don't have one. And sometimes that's a struggle Mm -hmm. because then it's, well, what does happen? What is all that? And sometimes it's it's that struggle of trying to grasp onto something that makes the grief and loss even harder when you don't when you don't know or you don't have a belief or anything around the death of somebody the death of people are, is so significant and and that was another thing we wanted to to touch on is the fact that you know when someone dies the thing is is that it impacts there's a ripple effect within that death you know, you talked a little bit about it that, you know, when you're, you didn't realize that you thought your mom was the foundation or the cornerstone to your family system, not realizing until your dad passed away that he was actually that. And I think people find that. Yeah. I mean, how much he was the influence and really helped make a lot of the major decisions and that, which I knew that they worked together, but I didn't realize that my mom was more indecisive and and things like that and so my dad had final say about a lot of things and i think that she didn't know what to do with that or where to go with that afterwards um like i mentioned my brother was only 10 years old and i really feel like that she put a lot on him as far as decisions and things like that and you know it turned out to be a struggle for both of them and I think the thing to remember is I tell people in grief and loss, don't make major decisions, in, at least in the first year. And the reason why is because sometimes our decision is based on an emotion, and that emotion is not always in the best interest of us in the end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm always telling people, don't make those major decisions. Don't buy a house. Don't buy a car. Don't get divorced. Don't do, you know, just major things like that. Because I remember when my brother passed away, I was in uh, college. And I struggled a little bit with it because that was really, for my family, my immediate family, that was really, that was such a significant thing. And he was young. You know, he was only 43. So that was really a difficult time for us. And I remember just, I I didn't want to do college anymore. And I'm so grateful. uh, And I don't know if she remembers this, but uh, Professor mine, Terry McCarthy, McCarthy, we were talking and went and talked to her. and, And that's what she told me. She goes, just finish out the semester and that and then make that decision. And I'm so grateful for that because it was so significant for me because I if had I had not done that, you know, I don't know if I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Exactly. But it was because emotion, the emotion starts to drive a lot of the stuff going on. I think it, it drives it to a point that it overrides your judgment a lot of times. And then you can get yourself into a situation that you didn't expect it doesn't turn out the way that you think and it is because you you acted so quickly based on that strong emotion and i get that it's hard for people to hear that you'll you'll tell them you know about not making a big decision like that but they're seeking something to to change that feeling inside them because they're in such a dark place so they think if they go out and change something do something big you know whatever it is that it's going to make a difference with them, that it's going to make them feel different, but that's not what's going to bring that person back. So it's a struggle to go through that piece of it. Absolutely. And then not only that, you have the aftermath that when somebody passes away and seeing so much of that in my practice as well, where people are, a parent dies or a child, whoever it is that dies. And if they have the responsibility of 
navigating their wishes or they don't have things in place or it, there's just and so now you know with one he you know he was so he was so busy trying to do everything and honor and respect his mom and, and her wishes that it was hard for him to have his grief and loss process too a lot of times you can just be completely thrown into chaos with everything that you have to take care of and you're dealing with that on top of the loss itself and that's the thing it's that and that's when, when you know when people hold space for you and, and you know you have to hold space for yourself as well you have to give there has to be a moment for you because it's an adjustment you have to adjust to not having that significant person or people it doesn't matter it's an adjustment because when people are something that's a part of your everyday life or significant even if it's not everyday but it's, it has that such a strong significant relationship it's an adjustment to not have that. There is a void and an emptiness within that. And understanding that when people are talking, it's not about replacing the void. It's not even about filling the void. It's about understanding the void will be there. But what do you put around it to make it not so big? And to, to you know, if you love something and you love those people that much, how can you get more love in your life to make that feel less intrusive on your everyday life. Mm -hmm. To be able to heal and be able to still live because that's what it is. You you go on living and you want to to still be able to feel that person and you know you miss their vessel, yes, but to be okay, for you to be okay. And I think that's the hard thing. I think that we forget to teach people that and, and, you know, this is such a hard thing in that when someone dies, that is their end. That is the end of that life in that vessel. It doesn't have to be the end of them. We can honor people in so many ways. We really can. And so it, it doesn't have to be the end. It's just the end of that chapter. And then what we do later on is, you know, I think really relevant and important. And I think that when we do that remembering and that's the hard piece and i think that's where the grief and loss comes in too is theirs is done and mine is not mm -hmm. you know and then it's like what how can i continue to live my life when something so significant is not there but understanding that life is our gift mm -hmm. and we're responsible well, we should be responsible for living our life and it's hard and i'm not going to sit here and say it's not Losing my parents was such a painful and at the same time incredible journey because I'm to the place where I can look back on that now and I can more focus on what I was taught, what I learned, what that relationship felt like with for me, how I can emulate some of those things that I learned and how I can pass that on to others. My parents were married for 68 years. I'm very blessed in that. And, and I can now look back and see the struggles and but the good times and the parenting and the stuff that they did that I can now say, oh, my goodness, you know, have such gratitude for it. Not that I wasn't there at the time, but it's so different when you can get the further away that you get from that grief and loss. Once again, the person never goes away. What you try to do is get rid of the thing of the heaviness of it, mm -hmm. the sorrow every day. There's always going to be the missing, but you get to think about all the things you take away from everything that they taught you and all of that. Like you said, that becomes the focus. It's what you 
took from that relationship, what they taught you is how valuable. And I think, you know, I always tell my clients and, and, you know, my sister and I will say this, we'll say make memories, make memories with those people because no, once again, that is so relevant and important. And to be able to do that because that becomes your comfort Mm -hmm. when they are gone. That truly becomes that warm blanket you can put around you on a cold day and it just warms you and it feels good. And I think that's when we talk about that grief and loss process, just how tremendous it is. But to have sorrow every day is not necessarily healthy. And, and I tell people, how do we honor and respect those relationships? And I have I had a client who came in and when she talked with me about the loss, I was there like, oh, okay. And, and, and then realized that this was a loss she had had years before and she was still carrying it every single day. And we got it. She's just, um, and it created anxiety in her and all of these things. And I'm so happy for who she is today because now she just embraces life in a very different way. But it was a child, it was her child and it was significant, but also those things that we hear of, oh, if it's your child or if it's this or if it's that or if it's suicide, we hear those messages and we incorporate them into ourselves and then we're living other people's lives at the same time or their opinions or whatever that is. You know, as I said before, I really thought I was a bad daughter because I did not, I was, I did not think I was grieving the way other people were grieving and stuff like that. And realizing that I had to stop and, and I love the way I love and I grieve the way I grieve. And every individual is. Well, and I think that a lot of people do that. It's almost like, you know, the mind tends to go to such a negative place so easily, I think. And we almost feel like there's like a sense of guilt that comes with being okay after a loss like that, because you somehow feel like that if you're not grieving, that you're not somehow honoring that person. But that's, that's not necessarily how that works. I feel like that, you know, like you said, keeping the memory of them alive and realizing what you take away from that relationship, that is so important. Those people taught you and told you things throughout your life that they wanted you to take with you. So if you're only focused on their death, you're not honoring them in that way. Do you know what I mean? Because those are things they shared with you for that reason to take with you throughout your life. And if you're living in the present moment and you're, you're only focused on that, also what that does to you and your relationships that you, you still have, the people that are still here, you know what I mean? I think it takes away from all of that when you, you're so absorbed in that loss and that pain. And, and like you said, she was dealing with anxiety and things like that. That takes away from your life. Well, and I think it's so interesting because I think for you to be able to speak of that today, because that year, year and a half after your dad passed away was extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it was the hardest year that we've had in our relation in this 22 years of being, that has been the hardest year and a half that we had because now you're able, because you've done so much work and, and you're so different than you were at that moment, that you have that insight. So you're speaking from experience. Yeah. Because it didn't matter what I said to you. It didn't matter what that emotion, that anger, all of that was such a driving force, which was part of that depressive thing that happens if you don't take care of yourself and those kind of things. And, and, And to be able to sit here today and say, 
you know, I've been on this journey. Mm -hmm. I've survived the journey. And it's not about surviving the journey. It's about living through the journey. Yeah. Surviving to me sounds so much different than we live through experiences. Well, yeah, because surviving, I think it sounds like barely getting by. And how is that truly living? Exactly. And, you know, the other thing that I think really complicates when we have grief and loss is it really plays on a family system. You know, oftentimes people, if they lose a child, the divorce rate is high on that mm-hmm. because they, once again, they get so stuck in the emotion of the loss that whether it's blaming one another or once again, sometimes people just kind of go into themselves. So the communication stops, all of these things stop. Well, I think with death and dying too, how much it starts playing into people's faith or lack thereof. And I mean, there are relationships that have completely different, maybe people have opposing views on their faith base and things like that. So then when you bring in a a death or something like that happens, then where do you go with that? If you're not even on the same page with someone else in a relationship about your faith piece of it, because like I said, what happens to that person after they pass, that leads right into people's faith and what they believe about things. Well, absolutely. Cause I have had clients who will say, well, they'll have a faith in God and then they're praying for that person. And you know, that person has a terminal illness or whatever. And well, God let them die or there, God can't, there can't be a God because of this or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it's just because we're, we feel so cheated mm-hmm. when some of that we love is taken or dies. I don't think people are taken, but when somebody dies, we feel cheated. We feel like just a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting that we do go to that place. It's like I said, you know, even in the last episode, I'm really grateful that I had my dad up to the age of 30 years old. I know a lot of people, you know, lose their dad when they're young or something like that. But we don't focus on that. We focus on, like you said, you feel cheated or whatever, like that person was taken too soon. Well, it always seems like it's never enough time. I always said to myself, I would never have a tattoo with somebody's name on my body. I have tattoos. But when my parents died, because they were really significant, and I I will tell people, you know, I don't have a whole lot of friends in this world that that are true friends to me. And I said, you know, I have seven. And when my parents died, I lost two. So I'm down to five. (laughs) So anybody out there, no, just kidding. (laughs) But because friendships are very important to me, they're very sacred to me. And so... I got a tattoo, and my mom died of breast cancer. It metastasized, so I have, of course, the ribbon. My dad was in the military, so I have the dog tags for him. The first song that my mom and dad ever danced to was a Frank Sinatra song. It's not a very well-known song to Frank Sinatra, but it's a song called Five Minutes More, and I thought this was so cool because the tattoo artist, so I have the musical staff. He actually went and looked up the song, and he put it on so you can play it. He put the notes on the staff in the correct order so yes. it's playable. And I thought that was so cool. And it wasn't until I was doing the tattoo that the last four of my dad's social, the date of my parents' wedding, and my last four of my NPI number, which is my national uh, provider identification number that you're just randomly given, all match up. They're all the same number in the same order. 
And I thought, how significant is that? How significant? So for me, and they, and it's my parents' name on my tattoo, because now when people ask me, when people see my tattoo, they say, what is that? And I can, that becomes the story. That becomes the memory of my parents. That becomes something I share in order to keep them always alive. And close to you. And close to me, absolutely. And so I think that's what we're talking about when we do those things, you know. How do we do that? Because once again, the significance of those people is so important. And everybody will will honor those people in different ways. Right. I think that's just amazing. You know, I have one. He's making a, a, a shadow box because he lost his mom. He actually lost several through COVID and stuff like that. And he lost a brother as well through some other stuff. And so he's doing a shadow box. And that's what's really cool is you can do it through art. You could do it through storytelling. You can do it through tattoos. It's really neat that you have so many ways that you can keep those people close to you. Exactly. And I got a little sidetracked there, so I do apologize for people. They're like, okay, wait a minute. We were talking about, you know, the impact on families and stuff. And that's the other thing. You know, when, when somebody dies, and we had talked about that, you know, with your daddy, you realized a lot of different things. When my parents passed away, I have five brothers and five sisters, and I saw what it did to our system. And, you know, being of a Latin background, you know, we're very big about la familia, the family. When my parents died, it really kind of shook that foundation of that belief system of la familia. You know, what does that mean to people? And so it, it caused a fracture. And oftentimes you'll see fractures within those family systems. And then, you know, the thing is, is though, from my philosophy is, is that I respect everybody in their grief and loss process. We have a shared loss, but we do not share, we are, we will not share the exact grief and loss. And to be respectful of that is hard sometimes. That's that thing of holding space And sometimes in that situation, holding space can also hurt. And it was very painful for me in some aspects of it for different reasons. And because of holding that space for others, it can also, you can feel very alone within that too, when it's the family system itself, that you're, and once again, everybody's trying to navigate this, everybody. And being respectful. And that's hard, though, because in your grief and loss, that is so powerful that sometimes your focus is only on that. Well, because a lot of times, you know, in a lot of cases, we make things about ourselves. And we have to remember those people are going to go through the loss in their way. And, you know, sometimes we forget that in that grief and loss, sometimes what we have are those people who loved those people. So So you already share a commonality. Mm -hmm. you already share a commonality and you already share a strength in that. But oftentimes, once again, the grief that we feel for different reasons, because people feel grief for different reasons too, or there's different stuff that's attached to grief, I should say. And so everybody's going through that process, navigating, you know, we look back on relationships. Was it everything that I, you know, was, we ask ourselves, you know, were there things that I should have done, could have, should have, would have done? It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, there's no rewrite on that. Right. But it's hard in that moment to not wish that there was a rewrite. Yeah. So that is difficult to do that. But once again, 
and I see this in a lot of the, the work that I do with family systems, how it fractures those families. Then it's fighting about the money and the assets or who's going to do this, who's going to take this or whatever that is. It becomes about things sometimes. It becomes about, and sometimes it's sentimental things. Sometimes it can be about what the person's going to wear. Are they going to be cremated? Are they? I mean, the list goes on and on. It can be anything from something really one might find trivial, which is very relevant to somebody, to something very major. Mm-hmm. So there, and all the stuff in between. And understand this, there's no value judgment. Nothing that we're talking about is right or wrong, better or worse. No. Mm-hmm. The only thing I will say that is in grief and loss, if it gets past grief and loss, and now you're into a depressive situation, that's not being healthy and that's not being effective. So that's a little bit different. But that's the therapist piece of me. But the piece of me that lost my parents understands truly understands that feeling. It's not just grief and loss about the people in our lives. Because for us, then, you know, people might think this is crazy, but for us, our dog, Mm -hmm. we had our dog, Misha, from, she picked us, I'm telling you. We weren't even thinking about getting a dog, and it was my birthday. We went to see my cousin, and this lady has these chihuahuas. And in my life, I never thought about a small dog, just so y'all know. And we went, and she's there like, just hold them. Oh, my goodness. We held her, and that was it. Out we walk with her. Yeah. And we had her for almost 13 years. Yeah. She was with us all the time. Okay, she ruled our home. She ruled my office. I love taking her to the office. I love how she interacted with people. She did not know she was a chihuahua. She didn't know she was a dog. She really thought she was a person. She was really relevant to us. Yeah. And I remember when um, it was time to make that decision for her. I know part of me didn't, I didn't feel confident about it, even though I knew we knew it was the right one. So I was very grateful to Heather and Michael, who came to be with us at that time, to my sister Alice, who I called and talked to about it. Even to Misha's regular vet, she called during that time when we were having to make that decision at the emergency. And I know that I'm sure we made the right decision. I just oh, absolutely really, I was so tortured over it because she was such a big part of our lives to be so small. <laughs> that was on that level. And for people out there who have pets, they're not pets. They are family. Yes. And, and I, I deal with that when we talk about grief and loss, because I deal with that with my clients when they lose their little four-legged babies, the significance that has for them, for our friends who we've seen go through this and and all of that. So that is a huge loss as well. It is. I remember Misha, I really felt like was there for me when dad passed. She knew when you were going through something and she would come to you and she, you could tell it was about comforting my mom was in hospice at my sister, my sister Alice, you know. Um, she lived with my mom and sis took care of her uh, for that last year of her life. And we went, and when they put her in hospice, we went, and I told sis, well, I got my dog with me. And she says, well, that's okay, sis. So, but mom loved animals. Oh, my God, she was the animal whisperer. I don't care what animal it was. And so I took Misha, and she was in her bed one day, and she said about putting her up there with her. So I do. 
And I put Misha to the side of her, but she didn't want to be there. She wanted to lay in between my mom's legs, but it would hurt my mom. Her little bone, you know, her little feet on my mom would hurt. My mom would tell her no, so I'd move her and she'd go right back. And so Misha lost her privilege of being in bed with my mom. So the reason I want to put that in there is because our four-legged or babies, they're just as important. And, and they're such a loss to people too, because they are so significant. And, and I've had a few of my clients who are dealing with the loss of their four-legged babies, and it's really hard on them, mm-hmm. you know. So connect with them on such a deep level, really. Yes. So that's really, really important too. And they do, you know, they bring you comfort and they do all those things. And, and they're such a, a, a big presence. And the people in our lives who are that big presence too, they, even when you get to that place, when somebody's in hospice or you know, when I'm working with people in different fields and it comes to, you know, when do we have to say that thing of we need to take them off life support and stuff like that? Those are, that adds more to that grief and loss process. So it's, it's not small. And there are so many things that play into it in that loss. It's like you said, even dealing with, there are still business things that have to be dealt with, you know, after the loss of someone and all of that. But also realizing too, if Hopefully everyone has that support that they need at that soundboard. But if they don't, sometimes you really do have to seek help. And that's really important in being able to recognize that. Well, and I think that's the big thing is that asking for help. You know, if you need to talk about something, talk about it. Find those people that are safe or that you feel are safe. And, and you know, we're going to really hold that space for you and do those things that are going to help you get to that place of healing because it's a healing process and it's one that I wish people didn't have to go through because it is a difficult thing to learn to live without the vessel of that person in your life but remembering we never I don't think for me I don't have to learn to live without my parents because my parents are always the energy of and the essence of them are always with me because they're a part of me Mm -hmm. I'm a part of them Mm -hmm. And finding comfort in that and and realizing that, like you said, if you're feeling overwhelmed or if it's feeling like that heaviness just is not getting better after time, then I agree. Go in, get help, talk to that person, talk to those people that are there to listen to you, to hold that space for you. I think that people, people don't understand how much talking through those things can help and how it helps to heal over time. And yes, it's painful to talk about, but it does help over time. And it does. And I think that, you know, and I'm always so honored when people share that piece of them of those losses, because it's such a vulnerable time for us as well. And I think it's that vulnerability that sometimes prevents us from going and seeking that help because we feel so raw at that time. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you find the person that you click with that will help (laughs) because, you know, it doesn't always work that way. And if it doesn't work out, if the person that you go to see, you feel like they're not listening or whatever, they're not hearing you or it's not helping, don't give up there because there are other people out there you can find someone to see and and it can help. Because, you know, you did seek out. I'm a therapist, but I'm not your therapist. And I told you that. You're not. And you're, you were also not well at that time. And so there were, you know, a lot of moving parts happening <laughs> at that time. But I felt like part of my brain was not moving at all. So. Right. And it kind of wasn't, I don't think so. 
So I did go and seek out that help. And the therapist that I saw was not, I would not recommend. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I thought it was so interesting because you never really talked to me about it till much later. And I'm there like, well, why didn't you say anything? You didn't know what therapy was about either. I had never been to a therapist. I believe wholeheartedly in what you do, but well, you know. I was starting to, then, you know, when you said that, I'm starting to think, does she think that I just go in there and look like I'm napping or whatever? Because that's what mine did. <laughs> I, I went in and I felt like it was nap time. I was talking to somebody with their eyes closed, mouth open, head back. So it was not a pleasant experience for me. And I don't really feel like that it benefited me like it should have. So I mean, sometimes that happens, but keep seeking. You will find someone that can help. <laughs> so, yeah, I was there like thinking when you told me that, I'm thinking, I hope you don't think that that's what I do as a therapist. <laughs> no. Yeah, I agree. And even in your friendships or whatever, even in your family system, seek out those that are going to be a fit. Respect that, you know, if it's a system, respect that every, or try or do your best to respect that everybody's in a grief and loss process. And you got to sometimes not take those things personally. And that's the hard part. It is. You know, when I work with clients and they're saying, well, my brother said this. And they're like, would he talk to you normally like that? Well, no. Well, what does that tell us? If something's out of some character for somebody or something like that, understanding that people speak out of that loss and sometimes it's their hurt and their pain is about striking out and lashing out. Exactly. When you're coming from a place of hurt, realizing that's a lot of times what you encounter is that, you know, people are going to lash out because they're coming from a place of hurt. And it's not. And once again, and I know it's hard when, you know, you say don't take things personally like that, but that trying to realize that that's their pain and that's their suffering and it doesn't mean you can't set up a boundary and say, well, you don't get to talk to me. <laughs> you know, we'll talk later or whatever. That's hurtful too. And, and you're dealing with your grief and loss piece of it as well. And, you know, being able to navigate that and help still take care of yourself, but respect that they're going through that and not taking their lashing out or whatever as a personal thing can oftentimes be difficult. Mm -hmm. Like I say, everything is practice. Yeah. You know, it's practice. But, you know, I don't know if there's practice for the way one feels around the, the the loss of somebody that's so significant. But I do think it starts with people really thinking about what is my belief system? Because that's one of the things that it goes back to, what is my belief system? And if I don't have one, then look around at different belief systems and find that one that clicks with you because it is not one size fits all. Right. And it's not sitting there and saying, well, if you believe in reincarnation or you believe in this or you believe in that or you believe that it's nothingness after that, it doesn't matter. It's whatever it, your belief system is, is based on how you're seeing the world and perceiving it and what you perceive at death too. But taking care of each other, hopefully it's finding those people, finding the help you need and really taking care of each other and understanding that grief and loss is a process. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but talking about it, getting to that place where the memories are the positive ones and being able to share those with others is super duper helpful and, and just really, really important. And realizing that it's hard, but we're meant to continue living. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing. And people will listen to that and say, oh, because I get it. But 
it's getting to that place where you know that your job is to live your life and to learn to live it with that little bit of void that will always be there. But how do you surround yourself with love and all of those positive things in order to make it more bearable, to make it a part of your life that you live with, but that is not about such a heavy negative piece. Mm. Okay. So we hope that the stuff we're talking around death and dying, because we know this isn't an easy subject. We know that we know that it brings up feelings in people, fear, anxiety, all sorts of things, but not talking about it doesn't make it go away. And always remembering from the moment of birth, we've been on this journey to death and what we do in between and what we do after somebody passes that we love. Well, how does our journey continue? As uh, my friend Kathy says, how do you want this story to end? So once again, thank you so much for joining us. We are truly grateful for each and every one of you. Yes, thank you. And we'll be back next week with the conclusion of our Death and Dying series. Bye. Bye.